Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It is October the 13th, lunchtime on the West Coast, afternoon on the East Coast in Georgia. 2020 has, of course, been a very, very strange year. We've been focusing on it, uh, on, on the strangeness of the year, of COVID, of Black Lives Matter, of many of the other things that have made this year one of the the most significant years of of the last century. But there's some things about 2020 where nothing much has changed. For example, we still have an environmental crisis, which has been manifested by the terrible forest fires on the West Coast. And one area of the current environmental crisis in which hasn't really been in the news, but should have been in 2020, is the plastics crisis. Uh, We have a new book out. Uh, by a young woman called Hannah Tester called Taking on the Plastic Crisis. Hannah has uh, an organization, Hannah for Change. Um, Hannah, congratulations on the book. Uh, you're a young author. You're, uh, you're 17 years old currently. You're about to be 18. Uh, why did you feel the need to write this book, Taking on the Plastics Crisis? Yeah, so the book is really about my journey into activism um, as a young person, talking about plastic pollution and how I really got started and uh, some of the campaigns and projects I've been able to do. And I also talk about why plastic pollution is such a big issue in the first place, because a lot of times I think a lot of people know at least a little bit of plastic pollution, but don't thoroughly understand, you know, why it's such a big issue. Um, And then I also talk about Uh, how climate change is connected with plastic pollution. They very much are interconnected and and interrelated. And a lot of times we see them as two very separate issues, Um, but they're very much one and the same. Um, I talk about why recycling is not the best solution for plastic pollution. And then I also talk about how other people can get involved and get started. Um, And I think it's definitely needed, especially for young people to hear that even just as a person, um, a young person myself, that, you know, our voices are valid and we can create change. Yeah, the book is, uh, I I thought, very, very relevant in terms of young people's activism. All too often we hear about young people's disappointment with politics, which I think (laughs) reflects very badly on the political system. But it doesn't mean that young people shouldn't get involved in the political system. Your book, in part, is a is, is a narrative of how you became engaged from a, a very young age, from, I think, 10 years mm-hmm. old in politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you begin the book with a wonderful quote, though, from an older gentleman, uh, mm-hmm. Robert uh, Swan. Uh, he's a famous Arctic explorer. I think he's the first man to have walked to both the North and the mm-hmm. South Pole. And he has a great quote, which you stress in the book. The greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else will save it. What's so important, Hannah, about uh, Swan's wisdom? I think it's very relevant that I think a lot of times we think that we have to have certain qualities of heroism. We have to be a certain age, a certain position to create change. But 
really we all can create change. Uh, there's no limit on, you know, what label or box you have to check of what you fit into to be able to create change. And um, it really, it takes all of us. It's not going to take one person or a few people to change the world. It's going to be collectively all of us coming together. And there's um, something that my friend once told me, he said the greatest threat, not the greatest threat to our planet. He said, um, the weight of the world is not as heavy if we all lift it together. And I think that's also very interconnected with Robert Swan's quote, because it's, it's going to take everybody. It certainly is, although not everyone, of course, will be involved. Um, Hannah, the core of your book is about the impact of the, the plastics crisis on nature in particular, on mm -hmm. wildlife. Um, is this the thing that most horrified you and drove you into becoming a, a, a plastics or an anti-plastics activist? The, uh, the photographs, the imagery um, is really shocking. Yeah, it was. I've always been, had such a huge passion for animals. And once I started to realize how big of an impact plastic pollution is having on millions of creatures, um, I knew I had to do something and speak up and take action. And I think that animals, you know, touches the hearts of a lot of people as well. Um, but plastic is really involved in so many other issues as well. Um, it impacts our oceans. It impacts our health as well. Um, and even just like air pollution, climate change, it's not just, you know, animals as well, but that's definitely what got me initially started and captivated. Uh, I was struck with uh, the continual references, at least in the beginning of the book, to albatrosses and the impact of the mm -hmm. plastic crisis on these incredibly beautiful birds. There mm -hmm. you see both mm -hmm. the bird itself and then the inside of a dead bird that has eaten all this awful plastic. Um, what is the story of the the albatrosses, the, the impact of, of plastic on, on albatrosses mm -hmm. in particular? There's an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean called Midway Island. It's um, off of the tip of Hawaii, and it's right in the middle in between um, California and Asia. And because of the currents of the ocean, it's called a gyre, it collects the world's trash, this tiny island that no one inhabits. Um, the shorelines are covered with tons and tons of plastic. And millions of albatross call this island home. This is where um, they nest, and they oftentimes are ingesting a lot of this plastic, mistaking it for food and um, die because of it because the plastic will just sit in their stomach so they think they're full, but they're actually starving themselves. Um, so albatross in particular are heavily impacted on that particular island, and that's what got me started. Uh, I watched a documentary called Plastic Paradise focused on Midway Island. I remember the movie The Graduate. I'm not sure if you've seen it, Hannah. Uh, it's, it, it's a classic old film, uh, old for you, perhaps contemporary for me. <laughs> uh, and at one point, the young hero in the film, Dustin Hoffman, it's a parody of sort of bourgeois taste. And at one point, uh, there's a reference to plastics in the 60s. Someone's saying, well, wh what are you doing? What are you innovating in? And someone says plastics. In the 60s, I guess, plastics was the equivalent or, or, or starting plastics companies was the equivalent of starting an internet or a, an app company mm -hmm. today. What is it about plastic in particular that's been so destructive? It, it was, there's, there's no intentionality about it. It wasn't as if these people <laughs> set out to destroy the, the, the environment. Is that fair? 
Yeah, that's definitely fair. And, you know, I mentioned in the book that plastic is a miracle product. We um, are able to do such incredible things with plastic. Um, it saves lives. It sends people to the moon. Um, it's in our cars. We wouldn't be able to live the lives that we do without plastic. The problem is the single-use plastics that are really mainly for convenience um, to use once and then throw away. And the problem with plastics is that it's so durable, it can last on our planet for hundreds to even thousands of years, outliving us and our children, grandchildren, and beyond for something that we use for just a few minutes in most cases. Sometimes less than just a few minutes, sometimes for or under a minute. Yeah. Uh, one of the yeah. things that your book did was educate me about plastic straws. We've all used plastic straws, most mm -hmm. of us unthinkingly. Um, mm -hmm. Are straws, uh, they're very colorful and attractive uh, on screen, but in practice, they seem to be particularly disastrous. Should we all give up using straws? I definitely think you should, As, unless you need them. There are definitely some people that need to use plastic straws. Um, but for those of us that don't, it's so great to switch to alternatives. Like I have here, my metal straw, um, but even just refusing a straw. A lot of times we don't use straws at home. Only really when we're at restaurants is when we use plastic straws. So the easiest thing to do is to tell your waiter or waitress that uh, no straws, please. Um, and you can bring your own or just use the cup um, because we use 1 million plastic straws worldwide. One. 1 billion plastic straws worldwide. 50% is from the United States alone. Why are restaurants still then still using plastic straws? They're clearly disastrous for the environment. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really add much to the drink. There are other ways of, of as you say, either use a metal cup or as I'm doing, just drink mm -hmm. it straight yeah. out the glass. Surely restaurants need to be more uh, accountable for this. And Definitely. stores, I mean, stores need to just give up selling. Uh, plastic straws. Uh, stores need to s simply give up selling these kinds of disastrous products. Definitely. I think a lot of times people don't realize part of the problem. It's a lack of um, education, of understanding that a lot of times we think that when we're throwing something away, um, we don't really have an understanding of where that away is. Um, we just think it's going to end up in the landfill. Um, but a lot of times it's not just sitting in the landfill. It's also transporting through our waterways and ultimately in our oceans as well. So I live hundreds of miles inland. The nearest coast is very far away, but the trash and the plastic that we use in my city can still end up uh, in the ocean. How, how are stores responding, though? As I said, you have mm -hmm. a, a Hannah for Change organization, and I know you've been on the front lines of many mm -hmm. of these initiatives to fight things like plastic straws? Are people just lazy? Are they indifferent? Are they selfish? Not necessarily. I mean, there's definitely a big wave of change, especially with plastic straws. A lot more restaurants are switching um, to paper straws. Um, a lot of cities are starting to ban them, especially along the coast. Um, but there's still definitely a long way to go. What else, apart from straws, what are the other things that we can easily give up that can help take on the plastic crisis without costing us a great deal in either inconvenience or money? Yeah, reusable bags is another easy alternative. I have some that are uh, foldable and they come like this big and you can unfold them um, instead of using plastic bags. Plastic bags are easy, can easily catch wind because of the way they're designed and fly all across <laughs> um, the parking lot and into trees. 
um, and easily out into the environment. So something simple that you can do is bring your own reusable bags to the store. On average, um, an American uses around 500 plastic bags each year. Um, so for like my family of four, we don't use 2,000 plastic bags each year, um, which is a big change for you know something as simple as bringing your own bags. Another thing is bring your own reusable water bottles, um, which I've definitely seen more and more people starting to do um, instead of using plastic ones. Um, I also bring my own utensils around with me instead of using plastic ones. Um, I haven't had to use them as much now because of COVID, but um, especially afterwards, I'll definitely be bringing my own utensils um, wherever I go. I have to admit, after reading your book, I felt very guilty about all my plastic use. And one of the things that occurred to me is that I was throwing away the plastic containers uh, for my salad lunches, which <laughs> I buy from my local supermarket in Berkeley here. Uh, and it wasn't clear to me whether or not that plastic could or couldn't be recycled. Mm -hmm. Do we need clearer uh, signs on, 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 on plastic in terms of recycling? Most definitely. Recycling is very kind of blurry um, and, and it differs wherever you are. Each city and county has different regulations, what they can and cannot recycle. Um, there's not just clear wording of what you can recycle and what you can't. So there definitely needs to be um, more effective recycling and also effective communication um, with these households on what they can and cannot recycle and how to do so. Anna, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, you're you're only 17, you're mm -hmm. almost 18. A lot of people will be incredibly impressed by your poise, by your commitment, by ma mm -hmm. your maturity. Um, how do we get more young people like yourself involved in these important social causes? Because Again, I, I can't speak on behalf of your generation entirely, but there is also a, a sense of malaise, of disinterest. Mm -hmm. Your generation isn't voting, isn't participating in the public sphere. What needs to change in that area? I think a lot of times we're taught that our voices are invalid, especially as young people, that we have to wait until we're older, uh, wait until we have a certain job to really create change or um, be effective. And I wanted to be able to show other young people that you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait until tomorrow to really create change. Um, age is really just a number and you can do anything at any age. And specifically, I got involved with politics even before I was of voting age. Because um, I think a lot of times we think that we have to be uh, at least a politician to get involved. But really, any young person can get involved as long as they're passionate about something and use their voice and know that they can activate their voice to create change. You leave us in your book with the four, the the five R's, yes. the, the five ways of, of 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 fighting plastics and generally uh, confronting uh, global warming and our environmental catastrophe. What are these five R's? Yes, yeah, so we're generally taught the three: standard, reuse, reduce, and recycle. Um, but there's definitely more beyond that. Um, the first step is really to refuse. Um, like I talk about in the book, recycling is not the ultimate solution. Um, the best thing to do is not use these plastics in the first place, so refuse it. Um, and then where you can, if you do use plastic, you know, reuse it um, and then recycle it. Um, but also be able to educate others and raise awareness on the issue. I think a lot of people don't want to be a part of the problem. They just don't realize um, that they're polluting and don't know how to be a part of the solution. So a lot of times it's, you know, engaging other people and bringing awareness. 
Are you disappointed, Hannah, that there's been so little attention to the environment in this election? I mean, there's been some talk of a Green New Deal, but it's very abstract. Uh, I don't remember anyone talking about this particular crisis, for example. It's a little disheartening, for sure. Um, but I definitely think that especially young people were very passionate about environmental issues because, you know, it's our future at stake. And we're definitely pressuring our representatives to take action and address these issues. I was actually able to help. Um, I spoke at the introduction of the National Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act earlier this year, which is the very first national bill addressing plastic pollution. Hannah, you, as I said uh, a couple of times, you're almost 18. Um, you're in your final year of high school. You plan to go to college. Do you, are, are you committed to a career in this area? You already have your own uh, nonprofit organization, Hannah for Change. Do you think you're going to spend the rest of your life uh, focused on, on, on the environmental challenges? I do. I think I'm, I'm hoping to go study in a mixture of environmental science and political science. So uh, pretty much what I, what I already focus on right now, uh, being able to create change in policy um, regarding environmental issues. Well, you're certainly the, the youngest author I think we've had on the show. Your book, Taking on the Plastics Crisis, um, is just out. It's a very short book. It's only about 80, 60 or 70 pages. Yeah. But it's readable, interesting, engaging, and, and really for someone like myself that didn't know a lot about the plastics crisis, uh, was, was tremendously informative. I know you're in Georgia at the moment, Hannah, in these strange times. Uh, in addition to taking on the plastics crisis, what else should people be reading uh, in our lockdown? Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect time to be able to educate yourself um, on so many different issues and read books. My friend Kate Nelson just wrote a book on plastic called I Quit Plastic, uh, which I highly recommend. And then there's also five other books that are part of the collection I'm in. So I'm part of the Pocket Change Collective. Um, and there's five other books talking about other issues uh, from different activists, sharing their perspectives and um, really how to be a part of it. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week. And thanks so much for listening.